Uh, really uh, glad that you're here. Uh, this is our uh, last week of uh, the Gospel Marriage series, and uh, I've really uh, appreciated uh, as we've gone through this series, uh, I've gotten a number of uh, great comments from uh, some of our, our single people uh, in, in our audience that um, I addressed that on the first week that I know these marriage series can be a little bit hard, but I've had a number of people come up to me and be like, I'm, I'm not married and uh, I never plan to be married again, but uh, thank you for, for talking about marriage. It's really important. And that, that's really, uh, I felt like uh, God really laid this on my heart a couple years ago, um, that the, the church, uh, that, that we had to be doing a, a marriage series every year uh, j- just to address this issue. So we're, we're really glad that you're here. And uh, we're going to wrap this thing up uh, with a really, um, I think, uh, provocative topic. So let's get into it. All right, let's pray. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Jesus. Uh, we thank you for his grace. We thank you for uh, his example of endurance and uh, enduring our sin and bearing our sin. Um, may we uh, model his example. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A man uh, walked out uh, onto the street to catch a taxi, and he got into the taxi, and the cabbie immediately said, man, perfect timing. You're, you're just like Ryan. And the passenger said, who? He said, Ryan J. Robinson. He's a guy, he did everything right all the time. Like my coming along when you needed a cab, that stuff happened to Ryan J. Robinson every single time. Passenger said, well, I mean, everybody has a few clouds over their life. And he said, no, not Ryan J. Robinson. He was a terrific athlete. He could have won a a grand slam in tennis. He could have golfed with the pros. He he sang like an opera baritone. He danced like a Broadway star. You should have heard him play the piano. Ryan was an amazing guy. And the passenger said, well, sounds like he was somebody really special. The cabbie said, well, there's more. He had a memory like a computer. He remembered everybody's birthday. He knew all about wine and which foods to order and what fork to eat with. He, he could fix anything, not like me. Cabby said, I change a fuse and the whole street goes black, but Ryan J. Robinson, he did everything right. And the passenger said, he sounds like an amazing guy. He said, he always knew the quickest way to get through traffic and avoid traffic jams. Not like me, I'm always getting stuck in them, but Ryan, he never made a mistake. He really knew uh, how to treat a woman. He would never answer her back, even if he were in the wrong. His clothing was always immaculate. His shoes were always polished perfectly. He was the perfect man. Never made a mistake. No one could ever measure up to Ryan J. Robinson. The passenger says, man, sounds like an amazing guy. How'd you meet him? So I've never met him. He, he died. I, I married his widow. Um, right? So. So. I want to I start out the sermon today, and before we get to our main text, you're going to freak out a little bit, because we're going to get to the main text about halfway through the sermon. So, um, but, but I want to lay a good, a good uh, kind of groundwork as we get started. There are no perfect people. There aren't. Which means that you are married to an imperfect person, that, that your spouse is not perfect. I heard about a minister one time who was officiating a wedding ceremony and he said, this sinful woman is marrying this sinful man. What could possibly go wrong? Right? And there's a, there's a lot of truth to that, that uh, it's a little bit sarcastic, but it's true. We are not Jesus. All right? Welcome to Northwest, right? We, Jesus is holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, he never sinned, he never will sin. This makes Jesus, as a side note, the perfect groom. One of the images of the Bible is that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, and he is the perfect groom. We are not Jesus. 
That means that your spouse has shortcomings, and, and guess what? It also means that so do you. It means that your, your spouse is a sinner, but guess what? So are, are you. We're not always going to say the right thing. We're not always going to do the right thing. Um, we're, we're sinners. Both parties that come into a marriage, we're, we're, we're sinners. I remember uh, when Twilight, you remember Twilight, that whole thing, when that, when that came out? I was joking to my wife, Cheryl, and I said, man, it is such a kind of overly romanticized view, view of things. In real life, Bella, the, the uh, wife who marries this vampire named Edward, um, she would be saying to Edward, I just don't understand why you can't do more around the house. You don't sleep. You're a vampire. You don't sleep. Can't you do the laundry while I'm sleeping? Right? Um, the movies romanticize uh, love, but the truth is that you are married to a sinful person and you yourself are a sinful person. So what I want to do is if you're a sinful person and you are married, I want to tell you, which is all of anybody that's married, I should say, is I want to tell you what is, is, what is expected of you, first of all, as an imperfect person that's married. As a sinner, what is expected of you? As a sinner, what is expected of, of me? And I probably don't even have to build the case for you that I, I am a sinner that is married, all right? I most certainly, as you've been hearing me preach for 12 years, right? We are expected, as sinful people who are married, we are expected to pursue Jesus. We are expected to worship him. We are expected to read about him. We are expected to study him. We are expected to know him better. I do this thing in pre-marriage that I kind of show, I said, uh, as a sinful wife and a sinful husband, you're kind of both starting out this marriage a little bit apart. But I said, if you will pursue Jesus, if both of you will pursue Jesus in your marriage, as you pursue Jesus, over time, you will find yourselves getting closer uh, to, to each other. And, and here's the truth of it. As you pursue Jesus, as you know him better, who is the perfect spouse? Uh, you will become more aware of your sin. You, you, you will. I think one of the problems that sometimes happens in marriage is that spouses become more aware of each other's sin. <laughs> right? We become more aware of their shortcomings, more aware of their problems, more aware of where they fall short. And can I say something to you in love? You are not your spouse's Holy Spirit. Wow, okay. <laughs> Everybody just calm down a bit, all right? You're not their Holy Spirit, you're not their savior, and guess what, you can't change them. Some of you have been trying for a decade. You, you can't change them, but here's what you can do. You can become more aware of your sin. There's this kind of interesting thing about the Apostle Paul. We think Apostle Paul uh, uh, as Apostle Extraordinaire who started churches and wrote a section of the New Testament and did all this amazing stuff. One of the things that we don't realize about Paul is that as Paul moved forward in his life, Paul became more aware of his sin as he pursued Jesus. He sets the example of this. Kind of early on in his writings, he writes, I am the least of the apostles that people would sometimes challenge the Apostle Paul's credentials to be an apostle. And Paul would defend his apostleship. But he said, man, of all the apostles, I'm the least. I persecuted the church. I have a lot of shortcomings, a lot of sin. I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. And toward the end of his life, he ends up writing about himself this, I am the chief of all sinners. That's toward the end of his life. So he starts out, I'm the least of the apostles. He ends, I'm the chief of all sinners. Right? He said, well, he's heading backward. No, he's not heading backward. He's becoming more aware of his sin because he spent his life pursuing Jesus. He becomes more aware that he is a sinner. And as sinners uh, who are called by God, 
Uh, as sinners who pursue Jesus, when we become aware of our sin, the second step of this is we pursue Jesus, become aware of our sin, then we seek forgiveness uh, from the people in our life, that we recognize our shortcomings, and we ask the people that we love and care about to forgive us. And listen, this is so powerful, that that if you've uh, brought sin into your marriage and you are a sinner that is married, as you're becoming aware of that sin, it is a powerful thing, it is a powerful thing to turn to your spouse one day and say, I wanna seek your forgiveness. I am, I am sorry for the things that, that, that I have done. I remember uh, one time being in conflict with an organization and the ins and outs of it are not important, but I remember about a year later, I ended up getting a call from that organization and they apologized to me. You know what happened? I cried. I literally started to cry. Because man, they, they, they've apologized for, for what they've done and apologizing for what you've done is an amazing uh, thing. But biblically, we don't just say we're sorry the Bible would go on to say that we make changes. Let me show you this text. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on the account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see uh, for yourselves how devoted to us you are. And by all this, we are encouraged." So we're pursuing Jesus, we're becoming aware of our sin, we're seeking forgiveness when, it, when it's relevant, and then we make changes. I love how this text says it. We demonstrate devotion. Uh, that if you feel sorry about your sin, one of the greatest things you can do is demonstrate your devotion to your spouse, powered by the Holy Spirit, and, and make changes. Because if you don't, as a sinner who brings sin into a marriage, if you don't, these sins and these habits and these shortcomings will, over time, they will have a negative impact on your marriage. Um, I sometimes do uh, uh, marital counseling, and if you were ever to sit in my office or be a little mouse in the office listening to the, the marriage counseling, you would kind of be taken aback by some of the things that are separating couples and, and causing uh, trouble in, in marriage. You say, man, household chores? Or like Scott was saying, uh, finances, you know, you know, this stuff's causing, uh, causing problems. Well, sort of. Most of the time, what's underneath it is a perceived, from one spouse to the other, a perceived lack of desire for the other spouse to change. It's like you're not changing, and that's the real problem. As sinners who are married, we want to pursue Jesus we want to become aware of our sin. We want to seek forgiveness. And then powered by the Holy Spirit, we want to begin to change. We always want to see God moving us forward. And this is what we do as sinners who are married, um, uh, which is both of us. We, 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 we both are sinners who, both spouses in a marriage are, are sinners who, who are, are married. Um, but what are, what are we called when we're married to a sinner, which is all of us that are married? All right, so could we bring sin into a marriage and we marry someone who has sin? What do we do? And the Bible's advice on this is really interesting. Here's what the Bible would say. We endure one another. I've been joking throughout this series that you'll never find this uh, on a Valentine's Day card. Dear love of my life, I endure you. 
right? You'll never find this on a Valentine's Day card, but I'm telling you, if you, we'll talk about this later in the sermon. If you talk to someone who's been married 50 years, they will identify this as an attribute of their marriage. We're going to talk about what it means and what it looks like, but because this series is the gospel marriage and how uh, the way we treat each other flows from the gospel, I want to show you this idea in the gospel in two texts. Hebrews first. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. And then uh, we'll look at this next one. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For we are like sheep who have gone astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So this is kind of built in to the gospel, that Jesus endured the cross. He bore our sins, and in doing so, he accomplished something great. He accomplished our redemption. He accomplished our salvation. He accomplished grace. He accomplished eternal life, and he did that by bearing our sin on the cross. And the question is, what does this look like in Christian relationship, and specifically for this series, Christian marriage? What does it look like to bear each other's sin? Now, before we get to that, we gotta pause here just for a minute. Because an issue has kind of found its way into Christendom that I want to uh, address since we're talking about this, this subject. And it has to do with abuse in marriage. About what do we endure and what do we persevere. And um, a couple weeks ago, Southern Baptist president uh, made some comments about abuse in marriage and submitting to it. And I listened to his comments and I found myself disagreeing with so much of what he said. And, and, I, and, I, and it drove me to want to say something about it this morning since we're talking about enduring and persevering. If abuse is happening in your marriage, you need to find someone to help you. That when God laid out the idea of submission, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, he laid it out in the context of love and respect. Jesus, when he talks about submission, is assuming that love and respect is present. If love and respect is not present, submission won't work. And if abuse is present, it certainly won't work, and it certainly needs to be addressed, and it certainly, you certainly need to get help. Let me show you Malachi 2.16. The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Men, the woman you're sitting next to that you're married to, you are called to protect that woman. You are. You are called to protect her. And if you are abusing her in any way and you think that is a path to God's blessing, you couldn't be more wrong. If you think as a Christ follower that God is just going to allow you to abuse his daughter with no consequences to you, you are wrong. And so abuse has to be dealt with. Uh, If it's found its way into your marriage, you've got to get help. And I say this whenever I address this subject, we we wanna help you get help. 
So, so if this is present in your marriage, if this is present in your relationship, you come to me, we will help get you connected to a counselor, and our church will help pay for it. Right? We, we've done this a bunch of times. We help pay for counseling all the time because we believe that oftentimes professional help is needed. And so this is not something that is submitted to. Abuse is not something that is submitted to. It's not something that's just put up with. It's something that needs to be addressed and that we need to get help for. Clear? All right. I wasn't going to get angry, and I think I skirted the line. All right. So just you're called a protector. Knock it off. You're called a protector. All right. So assuming we're not talking about an abusive situation that needs professional help, I want to show us two passages that teach us since Jesus bore our sin and since Jesus takes our sin, there are two passages. We're we're not Jesus, so we're not accomplishing what he accomplished on the cross, but there are two passages of scripture that show us how this bearing with one another finds its way into a good and healthy relationship. And I want to show you these passages and what it looks like in a, in a relationship with anyone, honestly, but we're going to apply it to marriage, what it looks like to bear with one another, um, to endure one another. And, and here's what Paul writes. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. This is from Ephesians 4. So you see in this text, humility and gentleness are kind of tied together. And then bearing one another is tied to the idea of patience. And the idea of being uh, patience is how we bear with one another in in relationship. And this flows from, uh, patience is an attribute of faith. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience. It flows from a belief in God. It flows from a belief that God is at work, that God is in the business of changing people, that God is present in my marriage, God is doing something in, in, in my marriage, that as long as I keep my eyes on the thing that's causing me to be impatient, as long as I keep my eyes on that thing, that is not the soil for patience to grow. The soil for patience to grow in is me focusing on God, that God is at work, God has the power to change, God is doing something in my spouse, God is doing something in me, he is bringing about changes. So let me use a a non-marriage illustration for a minute. Um, We have a six-year-old, he'll be seven this summer, a six-year-old boy, and he loves Legos. Loves, loves, loves Legos. But he has a habit with his Legos that drives me insane, literally, right? Uh, and it, it, I know it bugs Cheryl too, and it's, he'll be working on Legos at his table, and he'll need to find one specific Lego, and we have these bins with like thousands of Legos in them or whatever, and he'll take the bin, and he'll just dump the whole thing onto the floor. Drives me insane, right? And Cheryl and I will be in the other room, and we will hear these thousands of Legos hit the floor. And we're both in the other room going, <clears throat> do you want to go to the front? We paper, rock, scissors, who's going to go deal with this, right? Because now there's thousands of Legos all, all over the floor. And uh, what I would say about the patience thing is, if I keep my eyes on those Legos, that is not the soil for patience to grow. It's not. Because the longer I look at those Legos, the angrier I'm going to get. <laughs> right? so, so keeping my eyes focused on the Legos is not the way to do it. The way to do it is to keep my eyes on my Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> Who's going to change this boy, right? 
into a man. That, that one day when he goes off to college, he's not going to be doing this. Lord have mercy, he's not going to be doing this. Right? He's not going to be doing this when he goes off to college. He's going to grow. He's going to mature. He's going to change. And this is the work of God. So listen to me. The marriage you have now is probably not going to be the marriage you have in 10 years. Assuming that you, and at least you, and maybe your spouse, assuming they're open to the work of God, which is why I started the sermon the way that I did, that man, if you're a sinner and you're married, and if you're married, you're a sinner, right? So if you're, if you're a sinner and you're married, man, this starts with us realizing our sin and, and making changes and, and repenting. But here's the deal. Your spouse won't be the same person. They're going to grow. They're going to change. They're going to mature. This is the work of God in a person's life. You're going to grow. You're going to change. You're going to mature. Think about 10 years ago with, with, with you. You've grown. You've matured. You've changed from 10, 10, 10 years ago. And if you keep your eyes focused on the thing that is driving you nuts, that he leaves the toilet up. Oh, my, you know, um, she's not a very good cook. They do this. They don't do that. The, that is not the soil for patience to grow that the soil for patience to grow is to focus on God who changes people. So let me tell you a little bit about like what God has done, what we know God has done. That, that he took a, a murderer and made him one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history named Moses. God took someone whose own family didn't recognize his leadership potential and made him one of the greatest king over, over all of Israel, David. God took someone who hated the church and persecuted the church and made him one of the greatest leaders in the church's history. God changes people. God changes people. So the marriage you have now probably is not going to be the marriage you have in 10 years and allow that truth to maybe uh, encourage you and, and to give you patience. And before we head too far down that path, you know what uh, another element of patience is? It's focusing on God who is at work in your marriage. The other element of it is humility. Because there's a temptation when you hear a sermon like this to, and things aren't the best in your home, there's a temptation to start making a list of all the ways they need to change, that your spouse needs to change. Um, that's not wise, all right? So um, and and there, there might be a temptation to like forward the, the audio of the sermon to them at work or whatever. Um, some of those things are, are, are not going are, are not gonna be a, a great idea, but humility says that this, just not, this is not just about my spouse. Humility says I'm probably not a basket of kittens to live with and that I have my issues and I'm a sinner and I'm bringing sin into the marriage. And, and humility says it starts with me. Humility says that Cheryl probably has to show quite a bit of patience to be married to someone like me. I know that's probably a shock to you. Um, but hum humility says that this starts with me. I'm not going to focus on my spouse and their shortcomings. I'm going to begin, I'm going to look in the mirror and focus on kind of my own shortcomings and where I need to improve. So this attitude of um, the attitude is that, man, while my spouse is changing and growing and maturing, here's the biblical idea. While they're God is growing them and changing them and maturing them, I'm going to bear with them. I'm going to be patient with them. And while I'm growing and maturing and changing, they're going to bear with me and they're going to love me. And, and this, is the, this is the soil in which marriage thrives. It really is. It's realizing that we're both in process. We both bring sin. We, we both have issues. And God is at work in the marriage. And this is where great marriages thrive. All right, let me show you the second passage. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, uh, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a, have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Every single day of your life, in your marriage and in your life, um, you're, you're choosing certain clothes to wear. Um, I know some marriages where, and I've counseled marriages like this, where the clothes they put on every day are like boxing gloves and shorts. And certainly we don't mean that in a physical sense, but they're arguing every day. They're in battle every day. They argue all day long. I know some people that put on work clothes in their marriage and that marriage stopped being fun for them a long time ago and it's, it's just kind of a labor. I know some people that put on rain boots and umbrellas that they're, they're just kind of depressed. So different people put on different clothes, but I wonder what would happen if we followed this text uh, very rigidly and woke up every day and said, God, I want to put on different clothes today. God, would you help me to put on compassion today? God, would you help me put on kindness today? God, would you help me be humble today? Would you help me be gentle today? Would you help me be patient today? And it starts with breaking some patterns, like just waking up and saying, I'm going to put on different clothes today. It starts with praying this prayer. God, I, I want to do different. I want to be different. I want to put on different clothes. I, I need different clothes. I, I don't want to be angry. Uh, I don't want to be resentful. I, I want to be compassionate and loving. I, I, it starts with a prayer like that. But you'll notice the list continues. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So grace and forgiveness as a, as a bearing with one another Grace has got to invade our marriages. We've talked on and off uh, through this marriage series and talked about it this morning about um, the idea of abuse in marriage. And uh, I brought it up a couple times uh, because right before I started this series, I started to see some numbers about this, that abuse is on the rise in, in marriage. Um, people are more stressed out, more anxious, more a lot of things. And so statistically, abuse is finding its way into more marriages. But I have to be honest with you, uh, most marriages don't end over abuse. Statistically, most don't. It's on the rise, but most don't. Um, you know when most marriages end? It happens when one of two things he, uh, happen. One is I stop believing that you're ever going to change and I lose hope. Right? That, that's the first reason I see marriages end. The second reason is I stop forgiving on a daily basis. Bearing with one another covers both of those things that I don't lose hope that you're gonna change, and I forgive you on a daily basis. This is why when you talk to people that have been married for a long time, 50 years or more, you say, how do you do that? So few people have done that, how do you do that? And what they will often say within a list of a lot of things is they'll say, we persevered and we endured. You say, well, that doesn't sound very romantic. That doesn't sound like Twilight, right? <laughs> and they don't mean by that that they didn't have a good marriage. They don't mean that they didn't have a good marriage, they mean they did. What they mean is they kept moving forward together, believing that God was gonna change me and God was gonna change my spouse. God was gonna change us both over time. And then what they would say is, we forgave a lot of stuff. We forgave a lot of stuff. We let a lot of stuff go. I, I mentioned this in, in one of the earlier sermons that we have a rule in our household that um, if you can let something go, you should. Right? You're so wise, sensei, right? Um, <laughs> right? If you can let it go, you should. If you can't let it go, you should talk about it. So, so it, it's, it's forgiving a lot of stuff. It's letting a lot of stuff go. And you know what? Most, of, most married people that have married a long time, you know what they would say? That over time, God changed both of us. He 
Here's the other thing with this, they would say, over time we let less and less stuff go. We felt like we had to let less and stuff, less and less stuff go because it just bothered us less and we forgave more and we moved on more. And God did that work in our marriage. And I know that some of you have a spouse that maybe isn't up for some of this stuff or they're not a believer or whatever the case may, may be. And I will say to you that half of a marriage pursuing Jesus is better than none of a marriage pursuing Jesus. And, and that you can make a huge difference in your marriage by demonstrating grace and demonstrating patience. Because your spouse might not know Jesus now, but they can see Jesus in you. And that's a huge win. So grace and patience. It's bearing with one another and watching what God does in our marriage. It's, it's forgiving more. It's letting more go. It's, 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 it's showing grace and it's being patient. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace and his patience with us. Um, and uh, that he bore our sins. And while we're not called to do that on a spiritual level, on a day-to-day basis, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. Um, every single person here that's married is a married sinner. That's what the Bible teaches. So we bring stuff in. Um, we bring baggage in. We bring background in. Um, we bring stuff in. And so help us as spouses to seek you and to be changing always so that these things don't affect our marriage. We want to change. We want you to change us. We want to invite you to do that. And then help us as spouses who are married to sinners, which is all of us, that we would bear and we would be patient and we would forgive. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand. We're going to sing. Uh, love to, we would love to pray with you. If you have a prayer request or prayer need, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Uh, we'd love to pray for your marriage. If you wanted to come up uh, this morning as a married couple, I'd, lo- I'd love to pray with you. Um, Or if if you just want to pray for your spouse, we can do that as well as we sing this song together.